The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening and hello again, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York on WGBB here in Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue here. I'm taking you through the first hour on this Sunday night. It is the 21st day. Right, Brian? Yeah, all day. 21st day of November 2021. Our engineer, Brian Graves, of course, ever vigilant. He's at the helm across the way. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight, folks. Uh, very excited to talk to these two gentlemen. Leading off, we'll welcome in 1986 world champion New York Mets pitcher Sid Fernandez. In the number two slot, we'll switch gears as we do every once in a while. And we'll welcome in the guess who? And Backman Turner Overdrive guitarist Randy Backman. He'll be with us. So settle in, get comfortable. Enjoy Sports Talk New York tonight on GBB. Always some great memories up ahead for you tonight. Social media, we're out on Facebook. You can find us, WGBB Sports Talk New York. Give us a look and give us a like. We're out on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Donahue, WGBB. And if you miss a show, don't worry, because you can just go to the website, look them up, and see whatever you missed and listen to it at your leisure. Well, this gentleman, he finished his career with 114 wins, a two-time All-Star. He helped the Mets win the World Series, of course, in 1986. And we'll talk to him about his performance in Game 7 of the series, an integral moment of that fall classic. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight Sid Fernandez. Sid, good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Just wonderful. It's great to have you with us, Sid. Now, growing up in Hawaii, who were your sports heroes and favorite teams when you were a kid? Well, you know, growing up in Hawaii, every Hawaiian, every uh, Hawaiian boy looks up to the old timers, guys like Duke Onomoku and oh, yeah. Eddie Aikau, mainly surfers. But, uh, you know, we, we were kind of limited on sports. You're either a 49er fan or a Raider fan or a Giant or a Dodger fan. That was it. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, did you get the game of the week uh, in Hawaii? Uh, well, when I was playing, I don't know. I mean, uh, no, we when you were a kid. Now. Oh, no, we didn't get it back then. No, okay. So who were your favorite Giants? Uh, Mays. I mean, that team with Mays, McCovey. Jim Ray Hart, you know, Orlando Cepeda, I mean, those, those guys. Great guys, yeah. They, they had great ball clubs in Frisco there. Uh, back in Candlestick Park, back in those days. Now, you had great success early on, Sid, in Little League and in high school, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And uh, where did you first develop the, your pitching motion? Uh, sort of, uh, people may, may call it unorthodox. How did you first develop that motion? You just did. I mean, I was just, it really wasn't, no one ever taught me that. I just, it just happened. It's how it was. It's how I threw. So, I mean, 
that was it. You know what I mean, I pretty much self-taught. Yeah. Okay. You know, when I grew, you know, when I grew up, you know, there was no video cameras or VHS, or you know, you had to figure it out on your own. Sure. Yeah. Understood. Now, you were drafted out of high school. Uh, you were 18 years old. The L.A. Dodgers drafted you in the third round of the 81 Major League Baseball draft. Did you have any other plans, Sid, or you were you were going to to uh, to the Dodgers? Well, growing up here. You know, in the hometown I grew up in, um, mm-hmm. it was right next to the Marine Base. And um, my parents and my mother did and my aunts, they all worked on base. So I was there every day. So actually, I wanted to be an Navy Marine. I always have. You know, yeah. I, I've always found them intriguing. I want to serve my country. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's a, a, a great sentiment. Definitely, Sid. Now, you, you wore uniform number 50, as we all know. Uh, that was Tommy Lasorda's idea? Yeah, it was Tommy Lasorda's idea. You know, if, here I am, my first year in big league camp. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I signed in 81, so 82 was my first spring training. Uh, and then he decided to give me number 50, who, who actually the number belonged to Ron Renneke. So you're talking about ruffling feathers. I mean, everyone thought I wanted that number and took it away from a veteran. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that wasn't the idea. It was Tom Lasorda's idea. I hope he explained to him that wasn't for me. You know? <laughs> yeah, but, right. Yeah, that was Tom's idea, Tom Lasorda. How did you, did you enjoy playing for Tommy Lasorda, Sid? I only got called up in 83 for September call-up, and then I got traded on 84, winter of 83, I mean. So my first year at the Mets was 84. Right. Uh, he was fun to play for. He was a uh, funny guy. He was actually funny, you know. <laughs> but he was serious at the same time. I mean, they, they had a good coaching staff there. Monty Basco was there, you know. And they had a bunch of superstars in that team. So, you know, uh, they had Jaeger. They had Ron Say, they had Garvey, they had Lopes. I mean, it was a stack with, with Pedro Guerrero. It was a stack with players. Yeah, the, they, they had good guys during that era, the Dodgers, that's for sure. Yeah, Lasorda, definitely a classic guy. Uh, yeah. Some, yeah. I, I've had him on the show. Uh, says what he thinks. He has no problem saying what he thinks, what he thought, Tommy. And uh, j- just a great guy, a great ambassador for the game, that, that's for sure. Now, do you remember your your major league debut? Uh, yeah, it's a ways back. Um, I believe it was against. I came in relief one time against the Houston Astros. That was it. In yeah, that, in that, and then I started the last game of the season against the Giants. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of vaguely remember that. Yeah. Yeah, the, those That's were the two. Jack Clark on that team. Yeah. And. How did you feel about leaving the Dodgers and being traded to the Mets, Sid? Well, I, you know, like I'm, I'm from the west side of the world. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm further west than California. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never been further east than Chicago, where oh, I boy, played yeah. in, a, in a tournament in uh, Purdue University when I was in the, the Colt League World Series. And so New York, I mean, I heard of New York, everyone has it, but I, uh, I didn't like it at first. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it must have been tough to adjust. First play, 
Yeah, well, yeah, well, the team, I was the Dodgers took first place. They had a good team and I'm, the Mets took last place. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've never been there. I landed in Chicago. I mean, I landed, uh, LaGuardia. There's snow on the ground. Oh boy. I've never seen snow before. <laughs> yeah. I go, oh, this place is miserable. It's dark. It's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shock coming from. The- Coming from the beaches of Hawaii yeah. to, to the sidewalks of New York, for sure. Definitely, yeah. We got Sid Fernandez tonight with us on Sports Talk New York. Now, as you say, Sid, they, they were in last place, but they were on the way up. They they brought in Gary Carter. They had a young Doc Gooden. And uh, you got called up uh, Bruce Bereni, uh our buddy Bruce Bereni from Facebook. He uh, had his chronic shoulder uh, miseries. So they brought you in to replace Bruce, and uh, you didn't do too badly. I think you had a nine and nine record, uh, and yet you, you were, of course, striking out more than a batter an inning. Uh, what about breaking in with the Mets? Uh, you know, it was, it was great. I mean, I, I got lucky. I played, you know, for a, two great organizations. The Dodgers were treated their ball players well, yeah, and I didn't get that rookie hazing like every rookie goes through. And the Mets are the same way. You know, they had some better than that team. and But the bulk of that team was pretty young. You know, Daryl, Doc, were pretty much all the same age. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And it, it was nice to get along because, you know, you just Kevin Mitchell, we played against each other in the minor leagues. Uh, and it was just, it wasn't a problem at all. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to the playoffs right away now. Mike Scott in the Houston series. Now, uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember that, that game six. We, we were working at Merrill Lynch at the time, and we figured let's go down uh, to the uh, Killarney Rose in Manhattan there and, and uh, just watch the last couple of outs. And, uh, you know, it looks like the Mets are going to go quietly. And, boy, were we ever wrong. We were there uh, till about 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> it, it was a against, tremendous against ball. Houston? Yeah, that, that game six. And uh, where were you? For, were you in the dugout for that game? I was in the dugout. I had my mm-hmm. cleats on just in case they needed us. I think yeah. Ronnie came in really that he, game. He did, yeah. So Bob Ojeda was I think Bob Ojeda, well, I don't, I don't think. I know Bob Ojeda was on Sun Hero. He pitched such a great game. He and, did. A uh, game five. Game five. Get this in there. I believe it was game five. You can refresh my memory. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And, game uh, six was, was this. When Billy Hatcher hit that home run, he was like, oh, oh, oh here we go again. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, that was tough. That was a, a tough pill to swallow, that's for sure. Now, what were your thoughts on Mike Scott, Sid? I mean, I've, I've spoken to, to a couple of guys from the ball club about it, and they're, they're adamant. Ed Hearn had the baseballs. I mean, this guy was doing something funky out there. Well, I, I didn't see the baseballs. I, I've heard uh-huh. that they had a bunch of them with the same scuff mark on the same side of the ball, you know, there was like, I don't know, 15, 20 balls. They all yeah. had the same scuff mark in the same side. And, you know, it's hard <laughs> to mimic that on a foul ball. I mean, so obviously you were doing something to it. I don't know. That winter I played with Mike Scott in a, a Kapalua Invitational. Yeah. He was there. We were both. And, uh, and Johnny Bench was there also. And uh, I didn't ask him because I figured, you know what? I'm not going to. That's not my style. 
<laughs> yeah, right. We, we ended up we, we ended up winning. So I mean, I just I didn't bring it up. I really did want to ask him. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't. No, I can I can see your point, Sid. Yeah, why bring up the crap? You know, <laughs> you guys had the evidence, and uh, why bother? All I know, right? he's a super nice human being. He was a super nice guy. Was he? I mean, really nice guy. Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, he he won the Cy Young Award, of course, that year. I think you you got a couple of votes uh, in the Cy Young voting in in '86 as well. I think you you uh, got uh, you finished seventh behind Mike Scott. I think all the all the starters on the Mets got uh, votes for Cy Young that year. Of course, just uh, a great staff that year, right, Sid? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We have. Uh... I think it was last year. I think I saw Bob, Bob, Bonita, mm-hmm. Doc. I, I see him every now and then. The only guy I haven't seen in years is Rich Aguilera. Uh, yeah, I so, can't I mean, track I, him down either. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where he is. <laughs> Got to put an APB out on Aggie. That's that's for sure. <laughs> now uh, the World Series. Let's talk about that yeah. now. Game six. Where are you for yeah. Game six? I was in a bullpen. Okay. Just in case again. Um, and uh, we, were, we were pretty much telling everyone, oh, but uh, we were kind of bummed. They were congratulating everyone on a good season. Uh, you know, we were down to what, two out, uh, one out left? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we thought it was over. And everyone was just saying, what a great time, good, good year. We tried, what right. have you. Yeah. And then base hit, base hit, wild pitch, another base hit. I mean, it just, it was something I've never seen before, and I don't think we'll ever see again. Yeah, so. simply amazing. It was exciting. It was really exciting. Yeah. yeah. Now, now, game seven, Ronnie Darling, uh, he, he gives a gutsy performance, but you, you come in. Let's talk about your performance in game seven. Well, came in. You know, my main goal was not to. Trip and fall on my face, running in from the from the bullpen. <laughs> yeah. so I was, first of all, <laughs> yeah. Uh, then I, I got to the mound. As I was warming up, I started loosening up a bit, and the, the butterflies started going away. And I remember Keith telling me, "Call him here. We're going to win this game." And I just went and did my job, and we ended up winning. So it was, it was, uh, you know, it was nice. It was very nice. Something I'll never forget. That's for sure. Biggest thrill in your career, Sid? Yeah, by far. Because my yeah. grandparents were were there at the game with my with my parents, and you know, my whole family is pretty much there. Oh, nice! And so to win it in front of my grandfather, who was who traveled every everywhere I went in the mainland to see his face, I, I still I still can't forget that that face, the smile in a in a tunnel. He was so proud. Beautiful. Yeah, what a memory that must be. Sid Fernandez on the program with us tonight. Now, a lot of people said that that ball club was cocky, Sid. Now, uh, it was just a, uh, to me, a good ball club that, that really believed in itself. I don't think you guys were any more cocky than any, anybody else. Maybe it was because of the fights you guys had. Uh, I remember even Bill Robinson got into it once with the Pirates. The one I remember most is, um, Eric Davis and Ray Knight in Cincinnati when uh, Davey had to alternate Roger McDowell and uh, mm-hmm. Jesse in the outfield when uh, 
Eric Davis slides into third, and Ray just nails him right in the face. And, well, uh, Ray didn't punch him immediately. I mean, Eric. No, just, he pushed you know, him. It was, a hard, it was a hard slide, and yeah. he pushed uh, Ray. And Ray don't take no crap from nobody. No. And so he just unloaded on him. I mean, that was a real fight. There wasn't no usually baseball fights where everyone just talking crap. You know, no, this was for real. Yeah, no, that, that, that was, that was something. Yeah, I, I remember that for sure. And, uh, I think Hojo won the game, uh, with a home run. And, uh, th- that was a great win. But what, what do you say when people say, uh, the, the 86 Mets were cocky? Well, I mean, to, to a point there we were. Mm-hmm. So we knew we were good. But, uh, you know, other than those fights, I mean, we weren't really a cocky team. I mean, I don't, I didn't, we just had belief in ourselves. That's all. You believed in yourself and you could back it up too. That's, 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 uh, for yeah. sure. Now, now, don't you wish they would have held that bunch, uh, together a little longer, Sid? Oh, yeah. I mean, I did an interview, I think it was, I don't know, sometime early this year, like months ago, and I was in New York. And I get home. From the World Series, and all of a sudden, I hear they got rid of Kevin Mitchell. I said, "What? I mean, they spent all those years building this team up, and they let Kevin Mitchell go." And I just could not understand that. I mean, there was obviously more to it than I knew, but still, yet. Yeah. And then they got rid of Lenny and Roger. Uh, that uh, that still boggles my mind. That was a horrible mm-hmm. trade. Yeah, Juan Samuel. I mean, come on, right? Yeah, he only, we only had him on a loan. I think he only played three months for us, and then we gave Lenny and Roger away for a, a loan player. Right. Oh, man, uh, you're exactly right. Uh, the, I, I think you might be talking about – you did the 30 for 30 on, on uh, the 86 Mets. You were on that program. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now they say that Mitch was a bad influence on Doc and Straw, but – it turns out that that couldn't be any further than the truth. That's what I thought too. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, Kevin Mitchell killing cats. What, what, something came up with that. That's not Kevin. No, you yeah, ever, there, you know there is Kevin, that story on Kevin the internet. Mitchell. Yeah, that that that's a crazy story, and uh, I I can't see something like that happening. He he uh, he's a hell of a nice guy, Kevin Mitchell, and. Um, Let's go further into 88 now, Sid. You, you went on a tear that year. You struck out 50 batters in a five-game span. How were you feeling during that time? He was feeling great. Marm was good. And, yeah. You know, Marm just felt nice and rubbery. and No, it was, it, it, everything was just going great. Uh, we had an even better pitching staff at that time because we had David Cohn. Right. Cohn. Yeah, and, uh, that was a tough pill to swallow, too, Sid, that 88 uh, championship series. When Sosha hit that home run off Doc Gooden, boy, that took the wind out of everybody's sail. Yeah, everyone thought we were going to, you know, use cakewalk to there because we had beat the Dodgers every, every. I think we, we played them, what, nine or ten times or more? Yeah. I don't know. We beat them every game. I don't right. Think we, they beat us once during the regular season. But that's what, that's what happened in playoff baseball. You know, things happen. Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. As you say, 88 was supposed to be the year. You, uh, you handled the Dodgers. I mean, 
Uh, offensively, well, you had McReynolds, I think, then. McReynolds had a great season, but uh, it just wasn't to be. Another uh, bitter pill to, to Tommy Lasorda. Now, you, you were yeah. known as a heavy metal fan back there, uh, Sid. I had J.J. French from Twisted Sister on a couple of, couple of months ago. Uh, who were your favorites then, and who do you listen to now? Well, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Metallica. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, I know their management from the art, Q Prime. So ah, I got to okay. see a lot of Metallica shows. And, uh, yeah, I'm a little older now, so I, I'm not quite as heavy metal as I once was. Yeah, I know. We're getting old. But I, I, <laughs> I, I, still, live, I still listen to, listen to a little bit of it. Yeah, okay. I find myself now, I don't even listen to sports talk anymore on the radio. I, I, I have, uh, the satellite now. So I listen to the, the old stuff, the classic vinyl and, uh, stuff like that. That's what I find myself listening to these days. Nothing new, just reliving the old days. That's what, that's all it is. All right. Now, now you worked with a sports hypnotherapist, Sid, uh, Peter Siegel. Yeah, that was for, that was, for a short time. Yeah. One or two sessions. I didn't work with him much. Okay. I didn't like his approach. I didn't like his approach. I mean, he was, I don't know. Yeah. It I wasn't you. for me. Put it that way. It wasn't mm-hmm. for me. Gotcha. All right. Now, when you signed with the O's, the injury started catching up with you. Uh, what what uh, went first? It, uh, the knees? Well, it's been, it started in 87 when I was training in California for the upcoming season. And we were doing these heavy squats, and I was in good shape. But that's that's since '87 on, I had knee surgeries every year. Yeah. Uh, after that, my knees start start to go. Right. Um, maybe it could be from all those squats and depth jumps and all those spring stuff. But since '87, every year I had one or two operations on my knees, both knees. So I mean. Without without leg, you can't pitch very much. So, no, I mean, that's that's the basis. Have you had could, you Have know? you had replacements, Sid? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting uh, two more done. Oh so, boy, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just had my left knee done, so I know what what it's like. Uh, the the therapy's worse than the surgery. <laughs> oh yeah, by far. And uh, l- let's talk about the Yankees. The time with the Yankees. Uh, what brought you back with the Yankees, Sid? Well, I was. You were feeling I had good. Retired three years. I had been retired three years already. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my arm started feeling better. I went to see a chiropractor, and you know, when I was in Houston, I just kept on having these arm problems in my elbow, and, I, and I, every doctor I went to, including Doctor Andrew, couldn't find nothing wrong with my elbow. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know, I, I remember Mel Stoudemire told me. You only got so many in your arm, and obviously mine was kaput. Yeah. So, I mean, I just that's why I retired. But I stayed out way too long. I stayed away too long. Three years. It's just my arm felt good, but, you know, things just did, didn't come back you know, that, uh, as, as I wanted. So. Yeah. Well, George loves those experiments. I fight with the Yankees because I did a – a throwing session in Arizona. No, not just me. There was about five other guys there mm-hmm. throwing for different organizations. And the Yankees were the only one that showed interest. So, I mean, 
basically I just signed whatever <coughs> any team that showed interest in me. Yeah, and it just happened to and be them. Yeah. Yeah. Who would you say? I mean, you, you played for Lasorda, you played for Davey Johnson. Who was the best skipper you played for in your career, Sid? Probably Davey. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that'd be Davey. Uh, I played against really good managers like Jim Leland, Whitey Herzog. Right. You know. But I, if you're talking about someone I played for, Davey yeah. by far. Yeah, okay. Well, why would you say that? The way he treated you guys? The, the, uh... Well, he treated us like men. Mm-hmm. You know, Davey would always say, I'm not your babysitter. You know, you guys take care of yourselves. Don't embarrass the team. That was basically the only rules he had in spring training. Come on time. Don't embarrass yourself or the team. That was it. Yeah. Good guy to work for. That's for sure. That's a good mantra. Who, who would you say your best teammate was through the years, Sid? Hard to pick one because, you know, baseball is a very, uh, at the end of the season, pretty much everyone goes their own way. Right. I don't have to say I kept in touch with Bob Ojeda over the years. Uh, I just saw Doc. But pretty much during the offseason, I didn't speak to anyone until I got to spring training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, it's so nice it just, to walk away for a while, you know, and just get your head together. And <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I think so. So, so but, what what's happening these days, Sid? What are you up to? Not up to much. I, I, as you know, I had heart problems a couple months ago. I had a heart attack. And but, um, how are you feeling now? I feel great. My heart's back up to 65, 70%. My heart was only working at 30% there oh, for a while. I was yeah. struggling. So, so not, but, you know, through diet and, you know, through exercise, I pretty much got it put back full strength. Nice. Good. And any plans to get back into the game, Sid? No. Oh, I'm too old. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean getting into to uh front office or coaching or anything like that. I would love to, yeah, if there was an opportunity. I'm not that old. I keep on calling myself old. My friend goes, you're not old. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I'm 62. I mean, uh, I think I'm old, but, you know, to to some people, you know, it's all what's upstairs, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Well, Sid, uh, it's finally, it's great to finally get you on the air. Uh, I know we, we had a couple of hiccups, but, uh, it's great to have you on. And, uh, it's been a real pleasure having you take some time out of your Sunday afternoon out there to be with us back here on a Sunday night in New York. All right. Thank you. You take care, Sid. That's Sid Fernandez, ladies and gentlemen. Up next on Sports Talk New York, we welcome in the great guitar player, Randy Backman. Stick around, folks.
You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB. Uh, what's been happening? Well, how about that Islander game last night? They lost, but how about that new arena? Uh, anybody out there uh, go to the game last night? Wow, what a place. I'm looking forward to getting out there. And then we also have the uh, the Mets with their general manager in place. The naming of Billy Epler this week. Uh, how did you feel about Syndergaard going to the Angels? Uh, well, kind of bothered me at first. It doesn't bother me now after thinking about it. The, the guy's pitched two innings in two years. I mean, it's a big if if he'll pan out in Anaheim. Uh, I, it's a big risk for the Angels to give him more money than the Mets offered him. A lot of people think the Mets were crazy for offering the qualifying offer. So let's see what happens to Noah out in Anaheim. But uh, as I said, a big if. Now we're just in baseball uh, after the awards given out. We're in it for the hot stove now after the awards were given out. Of course, the uh, MVPs, uh, Otani in the American League. Of course, we knew that was going to happen. And uh, in, in the National League, who was it? Uh, oh, oh, Bryce Harper. I didn't like that at all. Not, not a big fan. Not a fan, folks. And now we just have to look forward to the uh, the Hall of Fame votes on September fifth. Uh, excuse me, December fifth. The uh, the Veterans Committee, the Golden Era Committee, whatever you want to call it, votes on December fifth. That's when Gil Hodges comes up for election, and of course, uh, the baseball writers vote in January. We have that to look forward to. So that's uh, that's basically it. I'm be interesting uh, to hear from anybody who was out uh, at the Islander game, and uh, we will talk about that in the future. But uh, right now, we're going to go to our next guest. This gentleman, uh, one of my musical legends, Randy Backman. He's been an integral part of uh, the Canadian music scene. The world music scene for more than 40 years as part of the Guess Who, the Backman Turner Overdrive, and a solo artist. He's on XM uh, Vinyl Tap. You can catch him on uh, Randy Spins' his favorite tunes, shares stories from his life on the road in the, studio, in the studio. I think he's been on there for like 13 years. It's really a great show. You should catch it. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight the great Randy Backman. Randy, good evening. Hi, nice to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you with us, Randy, I'll tell you. Now, 
who were your musical influ- influences, if you will, Randy? And uh, basically, uh, as the guitar goes, who, who were your influences? Well, the first time I noticed a guitar, it was Elvis Presley. Aha, uh-huh. okay. Before that, I played violin since I was five. So I played violin from five to about 14. Okay. Then as a teenager in the late 50s, um, one day I quit violin, which was a Saturday. <laughs> and then the next day, the Sunday, I saw Elvis on Ed Sullivan. And I said, what is that? And I hadn't yeah. heard anything like it before, and it was Elvis doing Hound Dog or Tutti Fruity or something. <laughs> and he said, oh, that's called rock and roll. I said, what, what? Rock and roll, and that's a guitar. And I said, I want to do that because it was so wild. Elvis was so wild compared to classical violin, little little 14-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid standing there in a certain posture, up and down strokes on your bow and being judged by the Royal Conservatory people. Yeah. It was very, very weird to suddenly say, I want to do that and go a little crazy on stage. And it was basically Elvis played great guitar, but behind him was Scotty Moore. And then I found out Scotty Moore was playing a hybrid of a Chet Atkins style. And so I got into Chet Atkins. And then I got into the an Orange Gretsch, which is what Chet Atkins played. Ah, and then yeah. suddenly Dwayne Eddy's on the radio playing the same Gretsch as Chet Atkins, but totally different. Because Chet Atkins are playing a finger style with all his fingers. Dwayne Eddy's playing one note on one string, and it's totally twangy. And again, I've never heard anything like it. And there's no singing, it's just all guitar. And so I was yeah. in love with Dwayne Eddy. And then, and then from England, the Shadows, who were just like Dwayne Eddy, but they played everything on the high strings. And so when I would do a gig, it would be like three hours of instrumentals. Of yeah. Shadows, Dwayne Eddy, Chet Atkins, The Ventures. The, all you need was one amp. You plug the bass and a guitar in there and a drum. A drum's with nothing. You just set up the drums and you played your gigs. I think Ed Sullivan, Randy, is responsible for more great musicians in the world because I talked to so many guys. Uh, one guy that comes to mind is Liberty DeVito from Billy Joel's band. Uh, so Ringo Starr on Ed Sullivan, and he was hooked on the drums. So uh, good old Ed brought us so much, well, He's, <laughs> right? <laughs> when we, we you know, growing up, when I grew up, there was no TV in Winnipeg. Then it came in. I don't know how old I was, 14 or 15. And when it came in, it was amazing because before that, you only heard things on the radio. You had no idea what they looked like. Right. There was no MTV. There was nothing. So you watched the American Bandstand Saturday morning. And you saw what they looked like, but they weren't playing. They were lip-syncing, but you didn't care. You wanted to see what the Shirelles looked like or the Ronettes or Marvin Gaye or, you know what I mean, or Fabian or Elvis, whatever. It was and then the magic. next night on Ed Sullivan, you'd see them play live, and that was like a big deal. Then you would you'd want the same guitar or bass that Bill Wyman played. You'd want the same guitar Keith Richards played. As a kid, you'd want that. you think... Gee, they must have played that on the record. Whether they did or not, didn't matter. They were on TV with it, and that 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 changed many lives. And when the Beatles played, it changed every band in the world, including mine, because I then went and said, "I want to sing all the George Harrison songs." He's the lead guitar. I'm the lead guitar. Uh-huh. He's not that great a singer. I'm not that great a singer. And then our drummer said, "I want to sing all the Ringo songs." <laughs> And then so suddenly every band had a lead singer, and then every band had a couple of girls in the audience, which is what guys are in bands for, 
that were their right. fans that liked them. <laughs> and so it changed the world. The Beatles changed the whole world. So did Elvis. Elvis was the first messenger. He mixed blues, country, gospel, bluegrass with a backbeat and brought us rock and roll. The next messengers were the Beatles, who brought everything after Elvis back to us. They'd all gone to the to England with the, the three-part harmonies. The Beatles' sh- harmony was just like what well, they did, We Used to Love Me Tomorrow. It was just like the Shirelles. You know what I mean? And they copied Little Richard, and they they did. They brought us back the American rock and roll that we had already kind of forgotten. And then in the late 60s, the Powers trios did the same thing with Cream and Hendrix and Zeppelin, bringing back the blues we had forgotten from the 50s mm-hmm. in Chicago from Chess Studios. Well, sp- speaking of bandstand, Randy, Randy Bachman with us tonight on the program. That's where I first heard Let It Ride, and the kids were dancing to, to the Backman Turner Overdrive on bandstand. So uh, I guess oh, Let It Ride was easy to dance to. <laughs> it was. And we, I'll tell you, if you got on bandstand, that was like a pinnacle because how many millions of kids every Saturday watched bandstand? And the big thing was when they rated the record, you can sing along and you can dance to it. And it it. was easy to dance to, right? Yeah, it was. And, uh, yeah, that was my first exposure. Now, talk a little bit about uh, the Guess Who, how you got involved with the Guess Who, how how the the band formed. Well, I I had my own little band. Like I said, I had had uh, one amp. Uh, with a bass player, we'd both plug into the amp and we'd go and play instrumentals at a school dance for like two or three hours, Dwayne Eddy and Shadows and everything. And I was pretty good because when you play violin for 10 years, all you play in a violin is lead. So I was like, I was kind of a lead guitar from the start. I played the lead line. And I heard that the best band in town, who was called Alan and the Silvertones, uh, the top band in Winnipeg, like actually making money, because when I played it was for nothing. These guys were making 30 to 40 bucks a night, which meant 4 or $5 each in their pocket. And um, I heard they needed a rhythm guitar player. Mm-hmm. And I could play chords, but it wasn't my deal. So I said, um, I want to audition for a rhythm guitar. And so I went to play, and they gave me uh, records to learn, Songs by the Shadows and Dwayne Eddy. And, of course, I knew them. And so I went there to the rehearsal, and I was playing rhythm guitar. And in the middle of the song, first song, the lead guy playing lead guitar broke a string. And I finished playing the lead. And he stopped playing, and he just stared at me, and they all looked at me and said, Wow, <laughs> you play better lead than Alan. And I said, yeah. yeah, I think so. And they said, Do you want to play lead? And I said, Yeah, that's why I came. Yeah. So suddenly I was the lead player in that band. We changed our name from Alan and the Silvertones to Chad Alan and the Reflections. I bought the big orange Gretsch, like the Dwayne Eddy Gretsch, from a window in the Winnipeg piano. This all happened in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The Gretsch next to my Gretsch in the window was bought by Neil Young. We were both buddies back then. He still has his Gretsch. Mine got stolen, and I just, I'm just i in the process of getting it back now in Japan after 48 years. Oh, man. <laughs> and then we, we cut a song called Shaken All Over, and we sent it into our record label, and they said, you can't release this. Uh, you see, we wanted a name like... Uh, uh, Cliff Richard in the Shadows. So Chad, uh, Alan Cole Allen became Chad Allen, and we became the Reflections, which is just like a shadow. And they said, there's a band called just like, uh, called the Reflections that has a song like, just like, called Just Like Romeo and Juliet. 
you can't use that name. We want to put this song out right away. It sounds very British. And this is like 1964. It's a British invasion. Yeah. It sounds very British. It sounds like Telstar. It's got a weird echo on it, and it's very, you know, very cool sounding, different than anything on the radio. And we said, we can't find a name. And they said, we're going to put out 50 45s, white label, and just put, shake it all over. Underneath it, we're going to put Guess Who, and then find a name for Pete's sake so we can then release the record if anybody plays it. So it went out to 50 radio stations, and in a week it was number one, and everyone was calling us Guess Who, and that became our name. Then we, that record got released by Scepter Records in New York. We went down there as the Guess Who, and this was 64, 65, and we had a top 20 record in Billboard. It was amazing. And then we did the Kingsman Louie Louie tour, summer of 65, all on the East Coast, and it was a dream come true because I had only seen that earlier in black and white movies, seeing Bill Haley and the Comets mm -hmm. and all these guys going, you know, playing rock around the clock and don't knock the rock and, and uh, Little Richard, the girl can't help it. We'd only see these rock and roll movies in theaters and same with Hard Day's Night. And suddenly we are doing Hard Day's Night. We are in New York and we're touring all over, all over the place. And it was an amazing thing in my whole life. And that's the story. Wow. There you go, folks. Randy Backman with us tonight. Now, Randy, you are the first Canadian to write a number one hit for two different bands. I wanted to get it right. Uh, with You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, An American Woman by The Guess Who. Uh, that's, that's a fact, isn't it? Well, the true fact is the single, American Woman, and album was number one at the same time in 1970. Mm -hmm. And the single... You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, and the album, Not Fragile, was also number one. So I had written the song. It was an album, number one album and number one single, and the only other guy who's done that, I believe, is Paul McCartney with The Beatles and Wings. Not bad. Not bad at all. And I, I always tell people, Randy, you know you've made it when you have a bobblehead made after you or you're on The Simpsons. And you've been oh. on The Simpsons. I'm not sure if you have a bobblehead, <laughs> but, but you've been on The Simpsons. Uh, the last guy that uh, I had on the show that was on The Simpsons was Daryl Strawberry. Tell us a little bit about your appearance on The Simpsons. Well, it was pretty amazing. My son Tal called me one day, and he said, Where are you, Dad? <laughs> I said, I'm in, I'm in L.A. doing The Simpsons. And he said, Wow, now you've really made it. Yeah, see? <laughs> and then... And this is when the Simpsons were big. I mean, this was like, I don't know, 20 years ago. They were like the hot thing. Right. I remember flying home on the airplane. The stewardess said to me, well, you look really happy. And I had a, a T-shirt of the Simpsons. And she said, why are you so happy? So I just did the Simpsons. She said, oh, that's amazing. What is their house like? <laughs> and I said, what? She said, what's their house like? I said, you think they're real, don't you? She said, oh, I guess that's a silly question. But they seemed so real at the time, and we were so into the characters. They were so nice to me when I went there. It was amazing. And they told, I said, I can't wait to meet everybody. They said, you'll meet nobody. I said, what do you mean? They said, <laughs> you'll be on a mic alone. Because if you see them all sitting at a table doing their voices, you will be paralyzed. You will be in awe when you see Yardley Smith doing her voice. Right. And this other guy doing Homer. You'll just be in awe. You'll be a fan. So we're going to do you alone. And then we'll mix you in. Then you can come back and meet everybody. And so that's what I did. <coughs> and it was a very cool show um, about Homer talking to him about the 70s, talking to his kids and back in the 70s. 
all the cool bands had initials like ELO and BTO and CSNN and CTA, which was Chicago. And if you're really cool, you had three initials as your name. And I, that was just great. Now I did a little bit of taking care of business. I didn't see nothing yet on the Simpsons show. And then, and then I met them all and it was, they were right. When I saw them all at the table, yeah. Yardley Smith came in a housecoat with big bunny slippers and her hair in rollers and did her voices in a voiceover because <laughs> she lived like a block and a half away. You are totally in awe when you see them do it. And think about the Simpsons, they never take a break. No. <clears throat> they do a show every day, every week. And so, however they've been on the air, I don't know, 18, 20 years, in the summer, most shows take the summer off. The Simpsons just keep going, keep rolling. And the greatest things I have is they gave me the script. Mm-hmm. Uh, the script Matt Groening signed, you know, to Randy, pulled up from Homer, and Matt Groening. And uh, they sent me Christmas presents and everything. It's like one of the family. They really treat you great. And it was a thrill for me to be in there because since then I've seen on Ellis Cooper, Aerosmith, you know, other other the Rolling Stones. Oh like yeah, that. the the Ramones, the Rolling Stones, McCartney, uh, George Harrison's been on. It, it's amazing, Randy. Now, now, uh, Matt Groening is a is a BTO fan. Yeah, he went to Evergreen College, which is just um, west of Seattle. And at the time when he was in school, BTO was recording at. Um, K. Smith Studios in Seattle. We did two albums there. We did the second album and the third album there. And the guy who owned the recording studio, K. Smith, was Danny K. The, the actor, you know Danny K. The actor. Sure, yeah. And Lester, and Lester Smith, who owned six radio stations. So the word is out. If you record at Lester Smith's studio, maybe Lester Smith's six radio stations will play your song. So you could play in Seattle and Portland and Spokane. You're all over all over Washington, and then you break out. Yeah. And that was great, and we went and did that. But at the same time, Matt Groening heard us on the radio at the time, and we were one of his favorite bands. Interesting. Boy, what a great story that is, Randy. Randy Backman with us tonight. Now, what, what's the original, uh, the origin of uh, the Vinyl Tap show? Well, there was a show I used to watch and uh, listen to in Canada on CBC Radio, and it was on every Saturday night, and it was called Finkelman's 45s. And he would play 45 records, and he would rant and rave about the government or the hockey game or something that went wrong in his life, and it was always complaints or whatever. And then I heard he was retiring, and I was doing a radio show at CBC, and I said, I, I don't understand this. How could this guy can retire? How do you retire from playing a record? It's not It's not like you're digging ditches, or you know what I mean? Or you're flying an airplane, you go blind, you can't fly anymore. What's going on? And they said, oh, he's just retiring. And I said, anybody could do that show. And they said, well, we don't have a replacement. Why don't you do a demo? I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you want to get a record deal, you do a demo. Why don't you do a demo of a radio show? And so I came home, and I said, I think I can do this. What will I call it? And I was really into Spinal Tap at the time. I thought, I'll call mine Vinyl Tap, and it'll be... All my own stories of meeting and like touring with Ringo Starr and growing up with Neil Young and meeting Little Richard and having him play on my record and meeting Tina Turner and all these and the beat touring with the Beach Boys and stuff. I can tell my own stories that nobody knows. They've never been in print. These are my memories in my heart and soul. And so I was in the head guy's office. He said, how can you keep the people busy for two hours? 
and behind him was a wall of CDs. And I said, okay, Chris, pick out every third or fourth or tenth CD, whatever, and stack them on your desk. And I'll tell you something, story about every a song on every CD. And he said, okay. And he took them down on, on every single CD. I could tell a story of the label, the band, the producer who wrote it, what guitar they played and everything. He said, well, amazing. You've got a, you've got a show. Ten summer, ten weeks in the summer, and then we're going to look for a fall replacement. And so I did the ten weeks. Uh, I got paid very little and lost $600, which was okay. It was fun. It was a challenge. And then when September came, they were going to start fall programming with another program. And they had a strike. And when they have a strike, there's a work to rule, and you can't cross the picket line. So they called me, and they said, we can't put on our new shows. Nobody can cross the picket line. Can we play your ten shows over again? I said, yeah, I don't care. I just doesn't matter. I'm not going to get paid again. They said, no, you're already been paid. I said, I don't care. Run it again. Yeah. <clears throat> so they ran them again. And then halfway through September into October, they did the fall book. And you as a radio guy will know what that means. It's the rating book. Right. And they called me halfway through October and said, you are the number one rated show. Everybody loves this on Saturday night. They all finish dinner. They all sit down with their kids and grandparents. And everybody knows the song because you play... 40 years of rock and roll. Other classic rock stations play maybe the 70s and 80s, and I'm going back to what I told you, Little Richard, Elvis, Bill Haley, and then how Little Richard got copied by the Beatles, and how the Beatles got copied by so-and-so, and how Robert Johnson got copied by Eric Clapton and Cream, and how they got copied by John Mayer. And so I would play the three in a row, and kids would send me emails saying, this is amazing. We've never heard Robert Johnson on the radio. We never even heard Cream on the radio because these kids are too young. And you are kind of like our musical school. And so I was on every Saturday night for 15 years and um, was the top-rated show. And so now I'm moving to start in February to the Classic Rock Network right across Canada because CBC was, you know, a government station. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to Classic Rock, which will be coast-to-coast. It'll be about, I don't know, 25 or 30 stations. And I'm also doing the old Orbit uh, syndication, who's then going to take the show to the States. Amazing. You, you have to check it out, folks. Vinyl Tap. It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, only with rock and roll. Randy does an amazing job with that. Uh, so, uh, wonderful stories, Randy. You, you're, you're, you're doing great. Now, you are a member of the Order of Canada. I recently had on Rick Wakeman, who is a member of the British Empire. What is the Order of Canada? It's a piece of paper. Yeah. <laughs> Signed by the Queen or the Governor General or something. <clears throat> like when they said you're going to get the Order of Canada, I said, does that mean I don't pay taxes anymore? Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, I'm a press guy, and they said no. I said, well, what does it mean? Well, you get a little thing to wear in your lapel. And you get the honor, but and that's and you get the certificate. So I got it. I mean, in Canada they don't call you sir. I mean, no. I've been. Uh, it's not really knighted, but you're given the order. Neil Young, Burton Cummings, we've all been given that. Nobody calls us sir. I don't even like when somebody calls me Mister Backman. I think they're talking about my father. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, are you a sports fan, Randy? I'm a sports fan when the finals come. I just don't have time. To follow thousands, literally thousands of games and teams going on around the world. Lately, because of COVID, my son, who used to play rugby, has got me into rugby. So we're, we're watching even now this, this tonight, 
the All Blacks from New Zealand. They played right. Ireland last night. We're going to watch them tonight. We, I love this game because everybody has a chance to be a winner. If you get the ball, you just run over the line and you get a try and you you score a touchdown. Right. And it's and the game never stops. These guys just go and go and there's no stopping and timeout and breathing and having a a scrimmage line. These guys just totally rock for like 80 solid minutes, and they're all in incredible shape. And I used to think it was just a bunch of guys jumping on a ball. It was like like flying on a piece of fruit. And then when I when was sitting with my son, he would explain the rules to me and what's going on. Now I understand the game, and I'm really into it. So I'm a sports the, fan the there, but I like sport, to watch the, the The roughest sport I ever played, Randy, was rugby. I played yeah. it when, when I was a student in, in England. And uh, absolutely the roughest sport. And I, I remember folks telling me that uh, football, soccer, was uh, a gentleman's game played by hooligans, and rugby is a hooligans game played by gentlemen. So they're and, totally right. And yeah. after, after my after my son hurt his neck, had a dislocated pelvis, and broke his finger, I said, "If you want to keep playing guitar, you got to stop playing rugby." Yeah. And he said, "Okay." And the doc. The doctor told them the same thing. And so we're really into that. But I watch, I love the playoffs. I love, you know, I love the, you know, the Rose Bowl, the Super Bowl, the Toilet Bowl, whatever the, whatever is on, or the, yeah. the, the hockey game. Yeah, I love seeing the greatest playing the greatest and who's going to win. I enjoyed the World Series. It was really quite good. Yeah, Baseball. not bad. Uh, now tell us about, uh, you're going to be touring back with Burton Cummings. Yes, this tour has been being delayed now for like almost two years. Right, yeah. It was supposed to be on a couple of years ago, and we got shut down, which everybody did. So nobody's to blame, and unless you want to blame China for the the virus. I mean, the whole world got attacked and affected. Uh, but every everybody got delayed. So when you say we can't tour because of a mandate or a non-vaccine or a vaccine or whatever, or we've got COVID or whatever, nobody really judges you because we're all in the same position. So... Um, it's been delayed and delayed and delayed. We did one show in Winnipeg uh, in September, early September, because it was Winnipeg's 150th anniversary and Manitoba's 150th anniversary. We played in a stadium that would hold about 12,000, but they only allowed 6,000 in. Mm-hmm. So they were all spaced out, and it was outdoors, a little baseball uh, uh, stadium. And we got together as Backman Cummings and played all the BTO and all the Guess Who Hits, and we played like 32 hit songs that night. It was taped for... Uh, for video, so there's going to be a DVD out soon, and they're going to announce a, a a podcast or broadcast of it on Netflix or HBO or something. And now we're scheduled to tour for excuse me to tour four dates in the July. And so we've got those. They were in Ontario, but now they're saying, "Oh, you're playing Ontario? Can you just pop down to Buffalo? Can you pop down to Utica? Or can you pop down to you know, Rochester <laughs> or something?" We're saying, yeah. "Well, if we can get over the border without all this these different rules, because there's different rules in Canada." And in the states, and every state has a different rule. And we don't want to go to the state of New York, and then we can't come back to Canada because they want to want us to go to a hotel room for two for two weeks in the hotel room. Yeah, no. So we need we need more we need more of a conformity of rules and regulations that we can comply with. Wonderful. Well, we look forward to seeing you down here when you make it. Randy, when you make it to New York, we're looking forward to seeing you guys. It, it's been a real pleasure, and I thank you for taking time out of your Sunday night to be with us uh, here in New York. I know you're not feeling well. You're a trooper, and I appreciate it. Thank you, and watch next year. 
In COVID, I did a new album with my son, Tal, so it'll be called Bachman and Bachman. And it's a really new style of music. I, I was ordered to not write anything that sounded like the Guess Who or BTO or sound like them at all, so it's a whole new sound. Tal does not sound like she's so high, like his big hit. And it's the two of us together creating 50-50 father-son, a new kind of music. It'll be out next year, Bachman and Bachman, and it is really nice. It's really great. I'm really proud of it. Wonderful, So thank Randy. you a lot. Thank you, and uh, you take care and uh, stay well. Thank you. You too. Bye. That's Randy Backman, folks. Well, that'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Sid Fernandez and Randy Backman, my engineer, Brian Graves, for using that phone card and dialing up 3,000 digits to get Randy to join us. I'll see you next on Sunday evening, the 5th of December. Uh, author Arthur Staple will join us, a book about the Islanders, and the Hall of Famer John Lodge of the Moody Blues will be with us. So, Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue, wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.